I'm DeMelo Roberts, stage and studio on ArtsWatch. Well, it's a snow day here, and with me to talk about what's happening with the snow and the ice and all the weird weather that we've been having, as well as trying to do art during all the weird weather, is Oregon Children's Theater's Artistic Director, Jen Hartman-Luck. Hey, welcome to Stage and Studio, Jen. Thanks, Dume. How are you? I'm doing well. I bet it's been a crazy time for you. You were about to open Goodnight Moon last weekend, and you were about to open The Lightning Thief this weekend as well. And then all this weather happened, which is not totally unusual, but it is a bit of a challenge here in Oregon. Give us an update on how OCT has pivoted and how you've pivoted during all this snow and ice that we've been experiencing. Yeah, Mother Nature chose a big week for us. <laughs> um, but honestly, with the incredibly professional team that we have at Oregon Children's Theater, everybody has just been on their toes. Our production team is exceptional. And everybody has just been, you know, going day by day uh, when it is safe to make some decisions with rehearsals. We've gone forward. We did have to cancel our invited dress rehearsal on Saturday, as well as both of our public performances of Good Night Moon on Sunday. We are postponing the opening of our student matinees, which we're going to start tomorrow as schools are starting to announce their closures. So, you know, we are being flexible. And of course, while presenting great work to the community is so important to us, uh, safety is number one for our crew, our staff, our actors, and most importantly, our audiences. So, you know, we are just going day by day right now. And uh, Lightning Thief is loading into the Newmark Theater as we speak. So hopefully we'll be able to sneak in, get some good work done in there, and then come back after the ice storm. We're just day by day right now. So yeah, you sound like you're in good spirits. I mean, it seems like you were hoping to make this big splash by opening two shows around the same time at two of Portland Five's theaters. And these shows are actually delayed season openers since you became artistic director last spring. And full disclosure to the audience, the, the last main stage show last year at OCT, I directed Where the Mountain Meets the Moon. I think just as you were coming on board as artistic director, what was the reasoning for you behind producing and working on these two shows at the same time? What was the thought process? Well, knowing that we needed to take a moment to just assess where we were as an organization when I arrived in town this summer, uh, you know, we looked at the type of programming we wanted to be presenting to the community, but also the ages we wanted to be serving and wanted to make sure that when we did come back, which we knew we would, we just wanted to make sure that we were kind of doing it in a really robust and exciting way with some titles that excited our audiences and was a real pizzazz. You know, we, we also know that January and February in this region can be tricky, <laughs> um, you know, with the weather. And so, you know, I'm holding on to good spirits because it's all going to be fine. 
and we're going to get some great, great shows and great audiences together. But we just really wanted to kick off 2004 with a bang. And a show like The Lightning Thief is so explosive. The music is so incredible and exciting. And young people and adults alike are in love with Percy Jackson, in love with this story. And it really has this amazing narrative and, and, and theme around resilience and stepping into what challenges are in front of you and taking them by the horns, you know? So if anything, it's an incredibly appropriate title for us to be diving into. And Goodnight Moon is the beginning of a starting of a, a, a friendship and a partnership with Seattle Children's Theater. This was an opportunity for us to take the set and the costumes and the props that they used in the fall for their production and allowed us to kind of begin what I hope and what Idris Goodwin about Seattle Children's Hopes is a long relationship of us supporting each other. So, you know, there were a lot of reasons that we wanted to open with an explosion, an explosive selection of shows right off the bat in 2024. An art explosion, shall we say. Art explosion. Absolutely. I love that you are very interested in collaborating with other theaters for youth. Is that something that you did a lot of when you were back in Austin, Texas? Yeah, I've had the fortunate um, opportunity over the years of presenting a lot of organizations and artists from all over the world, as well as working with local artists. And I find that that opportunity, it's so rich and exciting to, to be able to lean on other artists, but also to learn from other artists, to bring stories and to bring energy into spaces that you you can't do by yourself. And, and quite honestly, with the new landscape of arts funding and support and talking about resilience and uh, surviving difficult challenges, I think it is the way forward. You know, we have to lean on each other to celebrate the work that we're wanting to do, but also to survive. And I don't mean that in any sort of kind of dramatic sense, but I do think that the way certainly the field of theater for young audiences is going to thrive into the future is this this hodgepodge of producing your own work, partnering with organizations outside of your community, certainly regions of the country like Seattle and Portland being able to come together and lift both of us up at the same time, you know, provide uh, examples of how regions can support each other and keep moving forward. So I, I have always been interested in collaboration. Absolutely. And I think it is, it is the way forward for many organizations. It kind of in this new climate, you know, kind of where we're going. It's interesting you said, I want to follow up on what you said about the uh, fundraising climate, this new climate. What specifically mm-hmm. are you talking about? Was it easier to fundraise in Austin versus here in Portland? Or what are you comparing? Well, I think that there's a couple things, you know, based off of what we've learned after the pandemic and just the shifts and changes in the way our audiences are coming together, what people are spending their money on versus what they're not spending their money on, seeing the changes in behavior around ticket buying. And that's across the sector, you know, just I still I keep marveling at how people are spending thousands and thousands of dollars to see their favorite pop stars and their favorite sporting events. But the act of going to live theater, unless it is a well-known title like Broadway, it's it's getting harder and harder. And so that makes me think, okay, folks 
are currently leaning in to entertainment that they can trust, entertainment that feels good, entertainment that feels, whether that is a nostalgia or whether that is a known property, you know, whatever that that thing is. I don't see that people are afraid to spend money right now, but they want to really know that they're if they're going to buy a ticket and they're going to invest a few hours with their families, you know, I think they want to know that it's going to be well worth it, you know? And so I think as we collaborate with other partners, all of us are trying to reach family, trying to reach community and together, you know, and being new to a community, it's interesting. It's also a great excuse to get to get to know more artists and people in this particular community as well. You know, I wish I had, I I guess I'm stumbling a little bit because I wish I had the magic answer to your question. of, you know, why is fundraising more difficult now? Why are ticket sales lower than they've been in the past? Why are, and this is kind of in that global sense of our business, you know, we're going to keep working or keep our heads up and keep serving the youth and families in our communities, you know? I guess my question was more of a comparison to other places that Mm -hmm. you've worked at. From talking with Idris at uh, Seattle Children's Theater, is that the same there as well? I think that they have their own different challenges. Some titles that they've presented have been a huge success and some titles have had challenges. I think that that has always been true. Texas surprisingly has really great arts support and arts funding. It's a a slightly different model than what we have here in the state of Oregon and in Portland. So I am learning a new system for sure that is complicated and sticky you know, we heavily relied on foundation support in my roles in the past, of course. And, you know, I think Oregon Children's Theater is, is as we're celebrating this 35th anniversary season, you know, we're really looking at how we can celebrate these past 35 years, bring back some wonderful legacy supporters into our fold while starting to see who are the new folks who are going to help OCT kind of move into the next 35 years. So, you know, it's it's a tricky question to answer being new to a community and coming in in these particular times, post-pandemic, post-almost recession, you know, like it, this, this is just a weird time, right? We're learning as we go, I think. Um, and I, I probably speak for so many of our colleagues in the business right now. We are learning on the job right now. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a different challenge all the time, isn't it? My experience having lived in Oregon since I was 10 years old, but, you know, running an arts organization since 1991, is that historically funding for the arts in Oregon is lower than most of the states in, in you know, in this country. So the support is, is not there as it is in other communities. So no. uh, that's what I was alluding to and, and it was, how, it was how that compares for you. Definitely. I mean, I think I was actually a bit surprised. It was not something that I researched, quite frankly, before coming to the community. You know, I really focused my time looking at OCT, looking at the community, certainly looking at the community for my family. But coming from a state like Texas, which has so many complications when you're trying to live inside education, arts, work for youth and families, I mean, the hurdles are vast and challenging and frustrating, to say the least. But the funding for the arts... You know, Austin actually even is sort of on the low end of a lot of that because you see even greater support for the arts in cities like Dallas 
in Houston and even San Antonio. But still, there is there is a support and an understanding of how critical the arts are for culture in the state of Texas. I was in New York City before that, in Los Angeles before that. So I've been in some towns that really gave a lot of money to the arts for sure. But, you know, I, I see Oregon as a really unique space and I'm excited to meet the families and understand the folks who do contribute and the foundations who do support and really learning, learning a new place. And, and that, that's kind of all of the pieces of that puzzle. And I think at its core, the community and the foundations and all of the means that support the work we do, they rise up when the organizations are able to rise up and really communicate our impact on community, you know, and, and I think arts education is at a moment that we, we have to be really clear with why we need to exist. And I've been saying this a lot lately, you know, theater for young audiences is really fun and it's a joy and it's so, it can be just such a blast and it's a critical need. You know, our young people are suffering and they are struggling. And what we are able to do with arts education, going into schools, busing children into see theater, the conversations that were were happening after your show alone, after Mount, where the mountain meets the moon, how just wonderful, how many conversations were started in the community that I was getting to hear about before I even arrived, you know, and uh, and so it's it's a new climate, it's a new kind of uh, environment that we're working in. There's no question, and we're just going to make sure we do a really good job in providing quality work tracking our impact and making sure we tell our story to the right people. Where does your passion, I, I want to talk about the plays, but I also am interested in where your passion for theater for young audiences comes from. <laughs> I was a kid who had a lot of big feelings, a lot of challenges, both in my own little world, but also in my family and the arts somehow were the thing. And and I joke because my dad used to always say, I can't even spell the word music. And my mom, I don't know that my mom had been to a live play maybe in her whole life, you know? Like, I mean, it was my family, my immediate family were not advocates or, you know, participants in the arts. And yet here I was this kid who somehow the arts just spoke to me from the minute I was born. My dad really captured me writing songs and starting to put, I was an only child for 10 years. I would put on little solo shows to myself and for myself in my room. I mean, and they did everything that they could to support me. I was really fortunate to grow up in Mesa, Arizona with a really robust and incredible arts education commitment from that school district which I laugh about because once I was in graduate school, I ended up receiving the Dawn and Elizabeth Doyle Fellowship. And I didn't know who Dawn and Elizabeth Doyle were, but it turned out they were responsible for the arts programming in the Mesa Unified School District. It was this full circle moment of realizing, wow, if we really invest in the arts in public schools, young people have these rich resources. And maybe just maybe they get exactly what they need to support their mental health and their education and support. I remember the recognition that I received the first time I was ever singing a solo on stage. And that feeling 
of being seen and recognized and celebrated was so valuable to me that I started thinking about how I just, I, I want every kid to feel that way. And, you know, not every kid is going to be on the stage, but how do we bring the arts, those feelings of recognition, the feelings of collaboration and support? How do we bring that to every child? I say this a lot, that the arts and arts education, it's, it's my politics. It's my core belief system. It is it is when I when I think of some of the very difficult and incredibly heartbreaking things that keep happening in our world in the, uh, across the globe, the the things that happen to children, things are being done by children. I sit there and I I, I sit in this space of hoping that maybe someday the arts will will help us navigate these difficult stories, these difficult times, to connect with community and to provide resources. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm acting very Pollyanna about it, but I really believe it. I really believe that the arts have power that way. I am totally connecting with what you said. I feel like my life has also been just following whatever doors lead me, you know, that are open and lead me to where, lead me, lead me to the path. And if the doors aren't open, you go through the windows, right? So (laughs) I, um, I also related to what you said about performing plays in your bedroom. I I don't think I, you know, I always thought I was the only one, but I'm sure there are a lot of of folks like us that we didn't have a drama program where I was. It was very isolating. So I would read all the Shakespeare plays, you know, out loud Mm. to myself. So I really appreciate the, the aspect of how that helped you in your childhood. And, you know, I don't think I saw any theater for youth until I was probably in college or something, you know, because it just wasn't around. I mean, there wasn't theater, period, but there's just, you know, especially youth theater. So I really relate to what you just said. So that all brings us here to Oregon Children's Theater. I don't know much about Goodnight Moon. It it kind of skews young, right? Because it was a book that was first created or written by Margaret Wise Brown. Is that right? In um, 1947. So it's got yeah. history. That's right. I mean, this story, talk about persistence. This story is over 75 years old and is one of those stories that seems to be many children's very first book. You know, uh, I I keep hearing from parents, some of our creative team even, you know, they're saying, I've been reading this book to my children since the minute they were born. It is melancholy and quiet and kind of silly and mysterious. And yet there is something that draws us in as we are producing this title. It is the mayhem of trying to put a child to sleep that just makes me chuckle to my core as a mother of an eight and a 10 year old who finally go to bed most of the time when I tell them to. But oh my gosh, there are moments in this story, the way the piece has come to life that just really resonate, I think, not only with the littlest in our audience, but also with the parents and the grandparents. There's a, we, we, It's called the pandemonium in this show. There's a lot of bedtime pandemonium and, and the silliness that just comes with that, but also the tenderness that comes with bedtime and the, the haziness that comes with bedtime. And then just this recognition of one's environment is also just so fascinating. This little bunny who is 
saying goodnight to the mittens and saying goodnight to the chairs and saying goodnight to the balloon and saying goodnight to the moon. And just how we as young people, it's one of the aspects of childhood that I just love celebrating is, is that everything and anything is possible. We can find friends everywhere we look. And it is just quite, quite delightful. And so this is the type of work that we need right now more than ever, you know, work that just allows us to cuddle up with our, our littles and just love on them and and focus on what's important. So it's in the set is stunning. The work that Seattle Children's Theater did, this is a design that they've used many times over the years. This work also was directed, again, by Linda Hartzell, who was the original director of that work many, many years ago. And Linda is such a wonderful kind of legend in the field of TYA. So it's also quite fun for me to get to kind of know there's there's a little bit of that TYA history there, the Seattle Children's and Linda's touch, and now the new, the new life out there, new life in, at OCT. So there's a lot of threads there that are, are making me really excited about. Uh, good night, moon. You're still hoping. You're still hope to be opening. <laughs> I like that opening. Opening. Uh, for, I'm going to lean I'm into hoping. that, Dima. I like that. Hoping. <laughs> We're going to opening this weekend. Oh. That's right. Hoping this weekend. Is that Ooh. happening? So here, here's our plan. The, the weather, weather God's willing. And then we will kind of officially open our weekend shows on Saturday and Sunday. So I day know. by day right now, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. You know, luckily the community understands, everybody understands. And I think artists, producers, and audiences alike are just getting a little more flexible, which I'll call a win. <laughs> One of the small gifts of what we've gone through over the past four or five years is realizing that we our safety and our health and our well-being is most important. And so how do we just ride these waves and look for some silver linings and know that we still have still have three more full weeks of this show running and and it's going to welcome hundreds and thousands of audience members uh, through our schools and our public performances. So well people um, can keep posted on octc.org to see, you know, what's happening. I'm assuming you're putting right. up news all the time. That's right. Socials, yeah. our website, emails, any ticket buyers, any schools who've been booked are going to receive communications from us. We will also be doing a couple of snow day performances at the end of the run to kind of pick up for, for some of the schools who may lose out their opportunities. So oh, we'll that's be taking, great. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be taking care of everybody the best we can and know that if, if for some reason we can't get them in, then we'll, we'll find a way to get them programming in the future or take care of them. So no problems there. Yeah. The school groups, I have to say, are the most amazing audiences because for Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, I think all the actors, you know, after the first week of uh, school matinees, when they went to regular shows, they were like a little bit disappointed because the audience was less responsive. I went to one school matinee and they were so into everything and cheering and applauding and responding vocally. And it's hard to go back to just an ordinary audience after that. <laughs> Listen, I think attending school performances is quite possibly one of my most favorite things to do, period. 
I get emotional every single time because watching children engage, you know, the winning stat is only the 300 seats, right? But then the winning with the new mark with almost the 900 new mark seats, is 800. I mean, yeah. It's just my, the theater I worked in in Austin was a 1200 seat house. You know, we would never really seat over a thousand kids because it was just too many. But when I worked at Center Theater Group, I mean, we did student performances at the Amundsen. 3,000 kids, wow. middle or high school kids, you know, the Mark Taper, that was eight, 900. I mean, there is something truly profound about young people coming together in community and getting to celebrate the human spirit together in assembly and the cheering and the laughing. And, you know, it is so rare when there is a problem. Like those audiences, you know, I think some folks, the un, you know, the unaware uh, come in and kind of panic seeing so many kids, <laughs> teenagers all wrapped to get out together in one room. And it is, it is so rare when there's a problem because- no. Those lights go down, they get crazy for a minute, and then they focus on the magic of the stories. And I have been in theaters with babies, and I have been in theaters with that, you know, the lower elementary, our upper elementary, middle school is just divine when you get it right with middle school. And those kids are just eating up what you're serving them. And then high school, when you really bring challenging work to older kids, like it's just, there's nothing like it, nothing like it. And you're right. I think parents, even my own kids, I'm like, behave, be quiet, talk and clap when it's appropriate. And in fact, I want the opposite from my audiences. It's a parent thing. We're just so wanting our children to behave. <laughs> well, but, and, and in general, most audiences are supposed to behave, but I kind of like audiences that really get into the show. Yeah. You know, and, and we're, we're respond. welcoming. That's right. We're calling it a no shushing zone, like with Goodnight Moon. Like, let these kids respond, squeal, talk. Like, they, we want them talking to the, the bunny and the old lady. And there's an adorable mouse and, and there's kittens and doggies and there, there, there's a moon. There's, there's Clarabelle the cow jumping over the moon. And I mean, come on. You're two or three years old. We want you engaging. Actors and, and team like it too. Before we run out of time, I want to make sure that we talk about The Lightning Thief. That's yes. more well known because of the two Percy Jackson movies. And now there's a show on Disney Plus called Percy Jackson and The Lightning Thief. So I think that's exciting. How does it how does it translate onto the stage? Yeah, so the source material is actually the novels by Rick Reardon. So those began as uh, very, very successful and beloved characters in the books. The movies came out about 10 years ago and they were, you know, kind of, they don't seem to be the fandom's favorite. They did not have the same impact that the, the Harry Potter films had, for example, from the book to films, right? And so what's been kind of great is that now my kids are just the age for them to start loving Percy Jackson. So we've been reading the books and I'll tell you what, the fans of Percy Jackson are serious. They are very committed to the world and to the lore. And this title is translating on stage in a really exciting way. It was originally conceived by TheaterWorks USA out of New York, conceived as a TYA show, quite frankly, a one-hour adaptation that would tour the country because that was what TheaterWorks USA did. And then it was surprisingly good. The music was so great and it, it kind of adapted to a 90 minute national tour version that then evolved to the Broadway version, which was a two act Broadway show 
And that opened. It, it did okay on Broadway, but the, the thing of it is that it really was a work developed for young audiences, you know? And so I love that it has come back home. There are a handful of theaters, high schools, and things that are now doing the two-act version, but we are one of the first theaters in the country to do the TYA version. So this is back to the hour-long TYA version, and I feel like it's the best of all the worlds because we've got the very exciting rock score, which I love being a composer that lives more in the folk rock space. A lot of my own music is much more folk rock pop kind of in that vein, even when I'm writing for young children. And so I love directing this material because it's amazing. The songs are incredible. We have a cast of both adult professional actors as well as some young young adults young we have some of our YPs in this show that are playing Percy and Annabeth and a couple of our swings are young people I mean it's pretty great to have a cast that has both young and uh, professional adults working in the show and I'll tell you what it is exciting it is fast-paced you know, while I would argue that the story is really more for eight years old and up, you know, kind of more that middle, middle elementary, you know, upper elementary into middle school. I, I've got to say, I think all ages are going to love this show. I think teens, adults, and I think our young ones are going to love it too. There's some scary, there's some monsters. We slay some monsters. We definitely slay some monsters, but they're all pretty fun and pretty exciting. I actually like reading young adult novels, oh. especially on the sci-fi fantasy bent, and also uh, shows that are <laughs> young adults. So, yes. You know, I think because a lot of us are still kids. Let's face Completely. it. A lot of us are still, you know, dealing with whatever childhood we had. And this gives yes. a lot of relief to some of the, perhaps the trauma that we may have experienced and have that oh. inner child's life, you know, that it feeds the inner child's voice, I think. This story, especially, I love the themes in Percy Jackson so deeply around the ideas of being different and being weird. And if I'm not normal, then I, I don't, I don't fit in. And what I love is this theme of like, it's actually the thing that makes you different. The thing that makes you weird is actually the thing that makes you this God <laughs> that makes you a hero. And I will say my own son um, definitely has ADHD in a, in a big way, solid eight-year-old little boy working through a lot. And when we listened to the audiobook of The Lightning Thief and at one point, my son stopped and said, wait, I have ADHD. And I said, yeah, you do. And he goes, wait, does, does that mean I also have powers? Like, do I have superpowers? And I was like, yes, you do. Like, you actually do, right? Do we have to work at them? Do we have to sharpen those skills and get a little more focused and figure out how to use them? A hundred percent. But I mean, this, you know, the mother, Sally Jackson, sings to Percy, kind of right before he learns who he is and what's going on, you know, this idea of normal is a myth. Everyone has issues they're dealing with. And I get like emotional as a 40 something adult woman working. <laughs> like I'm like, I know, I know we've all got our issues. And I know if we could all just embrace that and realize that the things that might be difficult are actually things that can make us stronger if we allow them to, if we let them, you know? And that's our superpower, right? That is, so yes. there you go. 
Yeah. You're hoping to, you're hoping this weekend, right? Yeah, with the we're lightning thief. This weekend. Yes, please. <laughs> and it will still run through February 18th at Portland Five, right? In the That's new right. Mark. That's okay. right. And Goodnight Moon closes the weekend before. So we'll have one week longer with the lightning thief. But yes, they will be running consecutively. So we'll be taking over the winning stat in the new mark. It's going to be so ambitious. So much OCT. We're very excited. Talk about going from zero to 60. So we're, I'm trying to keep my staff sane. Oh, I thought you were just trying to keep my staff. Um, no. <laughs> and I, and I will say we have the amazing She Persisted coming in April which yes. is, adapt, is the adapted story uh, that Chelsea Clinton wrote, uh, but it was adapted for the stage. And Andrea White's going to be coming in and directing that. And uh, we're excited about a really special piece that, where we do plan on having panels, some community conversation uh, about women in leadership. and uh, So needed. This, yeah. So, needed. so, you know, we definitely have some exciting plans as the season keeps rolling out, some exciting engagements as we uh, do more work in the community. But right now, I think we're just going to we're going to have two phenomenal shows kind of kicking our season back off and really kind of leaning into our work with the kids. And when there's some opportunity, we will announce on our socials uh, some special some special things we have planned. We're still trying to hope in. We're just still just trying to hope in right now. So g- give me a minute on the hopening uh, and uh, we're going to get through these storms and uh, hoping. Um, but but absolutely, like we want to make sure that groups, we're also excited about doing some groups, uh, reaching out to the scouts and reaching out to some of the communities that we really want to make sure see the lightning thief because it's just such a such a great piece and lots of exciting uh, sales right now coming in for the shows. So we're, we're really looking forward to a great rest of January and February for sure. Oh, awesome. Well, Jen Hartman, luck. Thank you for braving the weather, break <laughs> legs on these two shows. And thank you for coming up with a, a, a new hybrid word for us. Listen, you know? yeah, who knew? Opening. We are hoping this weekend. <laughs> It's so great to talk with you. You can find links to Oregon Children's Theater at stageandstudio.org or orartswatch.org. Their website is octc.org. That's it for Stage and Studio on Artswatch. We're going out with a song from one of the shows at OCT. Guess which one it is. Till the next conversation, I'm Dee Maylo Roberts. Roberts.